Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast by and for trial lawyers looking for better ways to serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric V. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. And I'm John Simon. Today we're going to talk about settlement, settlement negotiations. I know we know attorneys who do this. They take a weak case and they hope they can get a settlement offer somewhere in there and avoid trial. That's got to be the opposite of everything that's necessary in order to settle a case at proper value. Yeah, I think if there's one thing that I would st- would say is the most important lesson to be learned, or the, the, the most important lesson I've learned about settlement negotiations in all the years I've been practicing is you need to negotiate from a position of strength. And that involves several things. Have your case ready for trial, you know, your reputation. Do you try cases or do you settle all the cases? Your opponent must know that you will try the case. And obviously try good cases. There's a movie, the Indiana Jones movie, and there's a, you know, a rope bridge across this canyon that's a thousand feet deep and he's hanging on by his fingers and the villain is getting ready to cut the bridge and send him to his death. And Harrison Ford asks him something or tries to work it, cut a deal with him. And the, and the famous line is, Dr. Jones, you're in a position unsuitable for negotiation okay? <laughs> <laughs> because he didn't pose a threat. Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, didn't pose a threat. So ain't nobody negotiating with uh, Harrison Ford or anybody else. If you don't pose a threat with your case, I would say the classic line, you're not in a position suitable for negotiation. You must negotiate from a position of strength. For those of us who do plaintiff's cases, the one thing that you have to negotiate with is they either pay the case, pay your client what's reasonable and fair and what's acceptable, or the alternative is to try the case. And if that alternative is not something that your opponent is concerned about, that's going to affect your negotiation abilities. If the last thing in the world your opponent wants to do is have you take that case into trial and try it in front of a jury, then you are in a very good position to negotiate. Number one, you need to have a good case. And I think the two best things, the two most important things in terms of negotiating from a position of strength are the quality of your case, number one, and secondly, your reputation for trying cases. And I'm not saying you win all of them, but at least your opponent knows that if you don't, if they don't offer a reasonable settlement in the case, you are prepared, willing, and and able to go in and try the case. So one of the better approaches to settling a case is to be disinterested in settlement is to just want to try to have excitement about your case and be excited about trying it. It won't really occur to you to be calling the other side and trying to work a settlement if you're excited about trying it. In fact, it may never occur to you. You might just be thinking, I want to work it up. I can't wait to get in front of the jury and tell my client's story. It seems like settlements happen more often in those situations because you're focused on trying it. It's like a natural, a natural consequence of trying to try the case that someone else on the other side will sense your excitement, sense the danger of the case, and they will initiate the settlement conversations. I think you pick good cases and try them, period. In the cases I have that are very good cases, I mark certain cases for trial and we work them up to try the cases. And if they want to offer money, they can offer money. But I certainly don't engage in trying to get the other side to prevent me from trying the case. 
you want to try good cases overall. And what happens, I think, most often in contingency fee cases is attorneys settle their good cases. Plaintiff's attorneys end up settling their good cases. Why? Because they're being offered a lot of money, they're good cases, and they're easy to settle. And then what they end up doing is trying the bad ones. And I think that's the wrong approach. I think you need to do the opposite approach. Settle your bad cases or don't take bad cases even better and uh, try the good ones. And I, you know, I've done that for years. You know, I tell you, Eric, I, I, when I first started practicing, I would spend a considerable amount of time getting my case in, getting all the information, getting the medical records, reports from my experts, all this before I filed the lawsuit. And then I would spend a whole bunch of time putting together a video, a letter, a demand package, putting it all together with my demand. And I would send that to the defendant to try to get the case settled. And I found in my experience that it, it almost never, ever happened, ever. Trying to do that pre-suit, in my experience, was a complete waste of time. I will tell you, less than one out of 100 cases I've been able to settle pre-trial, and mind you, with, with what it's worth. I mean, we're not in the habit of settling cases for less than they're worth. And what would happen is if you did that, or, or, or even after, it's, after the lawsuit is filed, you get invited to go to a mediation. You go to a mediation, and you're, you're 6, 12 months, a year away from a trial setting, and you spend all day at the mediation, and you end up being offered about 10% of what your case is worth. And I did that over and over again and was frustrated with it over the years. And I'll tell you the reason I was frustrated. It wasn't because if the other side actually evaluated my case that low and that's all they were ever going to offer, I wouldn't be frustrated at all. I would walk out and go ahead and try my case. But what would happen is fast forward 12 months, you work up the case, take the depositions, you're in the courtroom picking the jury or even when the jury's deliberating and all of a sudden the defendant's vision clears up and, and the light bulb goes on and they've seen the light of day. And the case, you know, the cases that do settle for what I think is fair value or full value, in my experience, that usually happens when we're close to trial or in trial. It's perfectly logical that your approach would work, right? You're sending the information. If someone uses their imagination and their experience, they could see the case in theory just like you do. But it doesn't work. Like you say, it's too early. And or is it the incentive? Is it, is it that the attorney is incentivized, perhaps, by here's a case I can bill on this case for a while? What's going wrong? Because I think your approach sounds perfectly rational. And I think part of it is they may need more information about the case if, if they don't have it. But the other problem, I think, is, and, and I think this happens more often than, than not, I just think that they don't get it. You know, the other side just doesn't get the, the case. They don't understand the significance or the magnitude of the case. When we work up a case, you know, I don't try the case that I worked up. When I'm in trial, I'm not going to put on the case that for the last two years the defendant's been defending. So that's what you should do. I mean, when, when we go into trial, we're trying a different case than the one that the defendant defended through the pretrial. But I think what happens is a lot of times the the, the person making the money decision nowadays usually isn't the lawyer defending the case. You know, and the more significant your case is, the higher that person is up, the more removed that person is from the process. So what happens is maybe sometimes you don't get the attention of that person until the very last minute, or the information that that person needs hasn't been provided to him or her to be able to make a good decision about the settlement. I'll give you a perfect example. And, and this has happened to me more than once. 
I had a case where we worked it up. It was a product liability case, and it was a static spark that, that started with, I think it was an oxygen concentrator machine. It was an infant who ended up being terribly burned. We worked up the case. We took depositions. We had completed the discovery, went to a mediation. And at the mediation, you know, we, we made a very significant demand. And throughout the course of the case, there appeared to be really no interest in settling the case. And my thought was either we're missing something or somebody else on the other side just doesn't get it. At the mediation was the person who was responsible for deciding how much to pay to settle the case. And I spent probably 35, 45 minutes presenting our case. And what I try to do is, is show whoever the decision maker is, why we're asking what we're asking, why the case is worth what we're asking. We then split up at the mediation, about an hour passed, and the decision maker came into the room and told me that he was basically firing the defense counsel. The mediation, after I presented my case at the mediation, the decision maker came in to talk to me without his attorney and said, uh, we are not prepared to settle the case for what it's worth today. We heard information today that we were not privy to previously. New counsel will be entering on this case, and we'd like to continue our efforts to try to settle it. So let me ask you, what, what the hell happened there? We're taking depositions in a case. Case is going very well. It's a very significant case. It's in a, a very bad venue for the defendant, significant damages, and, and nobody's getting, getting it. Just nobody's getting it. So at this mediation, finally the person who's there to make the decision looked at it and got it. And again, I think that situation was a situation where whoever was defending the case didn't do a good job of conveying facts of the case to whoever was supposed to make the decision. Now, why is that? I have no idea. I don't know why that wouldn't happen. If I were defending someone and the case got better, if it got worse, whatever it is, my client's going to find out about it. and They're going to know about it sooner rather than later. I think you're right. I think there may be some problems in conveying information. I've certainly seen that where it looked like the person with authority was somewhat surprised or concerned about something. I'm not, you know, it's just me looking at their face trying to guess this, but it seems like sometimes things are new to the person with authority at a mediation, things that the other attorney should have known, maybe didn't realize, maybe didn't appreciate, maybe didn't want to deal with because some facts are very toxic. You know, you're trying to stay positive on your case. But yeah, that's an important moment where you get to talk directly to the person with authority. Yeah. And maybe, you know, part of it is maybe when things go sour or an expert that the other side presents tanks on them, maybe that's not something they want their client to know about right away. You know, maybe they want to try to get the case settled without them knowing about it. I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm speculating at this point, but you know, I can tell you in my experience, I think early settlement negotiations for me historically have been a complete waste of time. Let me just tell you that. I think me sending demand letters, me, me making attempts for early resolution of cases, I just don't do it anymore. I really don't. If the other side calls me and says, you know, we'd like early resolution of this case, I'll have a very candid telephone call with the attorney, who most of whom I know, and say, look, we think this case is very significant unless they also think it's extremely significant, let's not waste our time. I had a call like that last week in a case where we have a case, we just filed it. And I think the upside on that case is tremendous. And obviously on those cases, you get the call. The problem is they want to pay you a small fraction of what the case is worth. And we are just not in the habit of doing that. We don't do that. We don't settle cases for less than what we think they're worth. 
I don't want to say ignore settlement, but be candid and be straightforward. When somebody calls me, especially if it's an attorney I've dealt with before, they know me, I know them. I can be very straightforward and say, look, it's going to take at least this amount before we can start talking about getting this case settled. And usually that will prevent me from wasting a lot of time talking about settling a case at a time when I know it's not going to settle. This is probably another episode, but in order to settle or approach settlement with confidence, you need to know what your case is worth. And that in itself is a, you know, it's, it's an art, right? It, it's uh, something that if you're an attorney who is perhaps not in this field or doesn't happen to handle big cases, it might be difficult to know what a case is worth. You want to have candid conversations with your client about where you think the case is going and what you think it's worth. And the client, of course, you know, you're, that's who you're serving, your client. So you want to make sure they're completely up to date on your evaluation of the case, what it's worth. And only now can you go in with any confidence and start negotiating. This all seems very obvious, but there might be cases where you're not sure what the case is worth. It may go one way or the other. There may be some difficult facts in the case. How does that affect, you know, sometimes good cases in, in development get better sometimes. Bad cases sometimes get worse, sometimes get better. How do you approach it when the number that you think represents the value of the case is somewhat wobbly in your mind, depending upon how things go in the future? Yeah, I think there's uncertainty in every case or we wouldn't be trying the case. And I think there's risk on both sides. And what, what each side is trying to do is evaluate their own risk. I would say that I think the more experienced the lawyers are in the case on both sides, the more likely it is that that case will be resolved, that it will be settled and not tried. And I think that's a general rule, and that's because good lawyers on each side of the case have that experience, and they're better able to evaluate that risk for their client. So I think the better the lawyer, the, the less likely, actually, cases get tried. The case gets worked up well on both sides. you got a good defense attorney, good attorneys on the plaintiff side. They've been through this before many times, especially if you have an attorney that you've had several cases with in the past. You know, those are situations where you can be candid and sit down and say, look, here's what we need, and you mean it. And the important thing is that the attorney on the other side knows that you mean it, that you need this amount or the case just isn't going to settle. I'll tell you something that's a lesson that I learned very early on in my career. When I started doing plaintiff's work, I was at a firm where everybody sent out demand letters. We kept sending out demand letters in cases, and I really didn't get a good response. And if I thought a case was worth $100,000, I'd get a $7,500 offer in the case, and then they'd ask me to continue settlement negotiations. I remember one case in particular as a very young lawyer starting to do plaintiff's cases, I made a demand in a case that was more than what I was willing to settle the case for. I left some room for negotiating. And I was talking to a very good, experienced trial lawyer, defense attorney, who was probably 20 years older than me on the other side. And he talked to me and he said, look, John, let's get real. That's a big amount for this case. Why don't you just tell me bottom line, just bottom line, what we need to get this case settled. And I did that. I gave them my client's bottom line, my bottom line, and we ended up trying that case because I don't think he'd ever had anybody actually say, this is what I need. And if I don't get that, we're going to try the case. 
And I've tried throughout my career to be consistent. If I tell someone that we need this to get the case settled or we're going to try the case, well, guess what? I believe that and we're going to do our best to try the case. I had a, a case, it was a product liability case against an auto manufacturer and they were calling me. It was a very good case and we ended up trying it on liability, winning the liability and got a, a new trial on damages only. And it was a very significant case. Liability was admitted. And then I get a series of calls wanting to talk and wanting to get the case resolved. And on our end, we really had very little risk because it was an admitted liability case. And so what I did there was I told the other attorney what my client needed, what we needed. I was very candid. We had worked before on other cases. And I said, look, here's two things. Here's what I need to get this case settled. And I even said, this isn't our demand. If you want me to make a demand, tell me what you want it to be. I really don't care what the demand is. I told the defense attorney, make a suggestion. Whatever you think our demand needs to be, that's great. But this is the amount that we need to settle a case. It took a little bit of time and it took a mediation and we were right on the eve of trial, but they paid us what we needed to get to settle the case. So I think kind of like say what you mean and mean what you say. If you're pounding the table and you tell everybody, you know, we need this, this is our bottom line. And then you end up settling for a fraction of that. That's not going to bode too well for you next time you deal with that attorney or that adjuster. Let me circle back to something you said earlier about you're going to try a different case than the one that was worked up. And it seems like that uh, I can understand that you want to make sure you come in with with a great case and perhaps a better framed case at trial. But if you're not disclosing it, then you're trying to settle the case based upon a second rate version of your facts. You're not putting your A game forward at the negotiating table. How does that come together for you? You know, Eric, that is a really great question and it's a neat topic. When a case comes into our office, I pretty much make the decision as to whether, you know, I'm not saying we make a decision on every case. We're going to try this one. We're going to settle this one. But what we do is we, we cherry pick a certain number of cases and just mark them for trial. And that's what we do in the office. We've been doing that for years. And you know, different things, different characteristics or different evidence that goes into how you pick that case. You may have a case where liability is a 50-50 or it's disputed, but the damages might be 20 or $30 million. And based on your past experience with that defendant, you know that they're never going to offer you enough to get the case settled. And why even bother talking about it? Just go in and try the case. There are circumstances where exceptionally good cases where the liability is very, very strong and the damages are very significant policy limit cases. I work up cases a different way if I know I'm going to try them versus you could end up settling the case. I mean, if you have some, some good evidence in the case that you can develop and that evidence may help the other side move a little bit to get it settled, you know, you got to decide what, what you want to do with that from, from a tactical standpoint. Do you want to present that evidence? And more importantly, when do you want to present that evidence? Maybe you wait until the parties are close enough that you think the case is, has a good chance of getting resolved. What I'm talking about is how you frame the case, the theme of the case. You can take the same set of facts and you can frame them in a completely different way at trial. I think you always need to save something for trial. If, if it's a case you know you're going to try, I don't think it's a good idea to put all your cards out on the table and let everybody know every argument you're going to make and, and every piece of evidence that you're going to present to support the case. And again, 
That's going to depend on the case. It's going to depend on the client. But good defense lawyers will do that too. There's always a surprise. There's always something <laughs> that I wasn't expecting. And that, you know, that's what good lawyers do. This is what trial lawyers do. You follow the rules of discovery. You answer things completely and truthfully and all of that. But how you argue it or how you present it, or there may be a fact or some evidence that they didn't request that you have. But if you know you're going to try the case, you, you really need to save something for trial. You don't lay it all out on the, on the table. There are cases when you don't want to negotiate the amount. And one of those would be the policy limit case. I had one of those. This is when I was working with a defense firm about 20 years ago. There was a $4 million policy and it was a small business. And the client had asked me, is the case worth $4 million? Well, the man that was hurt, this is an intersectional collision. The man was not wearing a seatbelt, which sounds like, well, is that is that worth anything against the defendant? Well, it was totally overwhelmed by the fact that the man was a quadriplegic as a result of the accident. And as you know, these the expenses on a person who's 32 years old, has a family, a couple kids, this is a dangerous case to defend in the city of St. Louis. So the, the only question was, is it worth $4 million? We had two friendly depositions where we said we would like to go out and talk to the man and, and talk to his wife. So we deposed his wife and him separately because she came in later and said, the doctors make it very clear he won't get better. The damages are just escalating at an insurmountable, unstoppable rate. So my recommendation was that this case was worth far more than $4 million. The defendant paid the $4 million. There was no reason for the plaintiff in that case to negotiate. It was just simply they set a threshold of policy limit. We paid it. It was done. That was a kind of an unusual case, but it can happen. My general rule is I don't make demands in cases. I don't send out demand letters or make attempts to settle the case before it's worked up. And I just base that on my experience. It never happens. 99% of the time, it's a waste of time. I'd rather work the case up and then both sides are fully informed about what the case is about, how strong it is, how, how weak it is, uh, what the damages are. And I think the time to settle a case is when you're you're done working it up and you're getting ready to try it. I think that's when you have everybody's attention. People are more focused and more reasonable. I mean, it just it's it's just amazing how all of a sudden you get everybody's attention. And I think it's based in part of what we talked about earlier. Insurance company wants to hang on to their money. Defendant wants to hang on to their money. The defense attorney may want more evidence in the case, but you're working against somebody who bills by the hour. And I, I don't think that happens all the time, but I think sometime it does. Let's talk about when the amount isn't negotiable. And those are cases where, for instance, it's a policy limit insurance case. It may be a capped case. For instance, medical malpractice case that's capped. You could have just an exceptionally good case or a case where liability has been admitted where you have an amount to settle a case for and it is just not negotiable, especially with the policy limits and the capped cases. And what I see the problem here is Let's say you have a policy limit case of a million dollars. The case is clearly worth a million dollars. And what demand are you going to make? You're going to make a million dollar demand? Well, if you make a million dollar demand, they're going to think you'll take less. So what do you do? You make a demand for more than a million dollars and waste everybody's time. Mm -hmm. So I think the thing there is just to talk to the other side and say, look, this is a policy limit case. We're not going to settle it for less than the policy limit. If you want to spend a year and a half billing time on it and running up more attorney's fees, we can promise you that this case is either going to get settled for the policy limit or we're going to try it. Now, again, keep in mind, 
say what you mean and mean what you say. If it is a policy limit case and you will not accept less, then don't. If you're going to try the case, go ahead and try the case. And what that will do is next time around when you tell them, look, this is what we need, you'll get paid or you'll try the case. St. Louis, where we practice, has about, what, 3 million people, but it seems to be a small town as far as trial lawyers. So if you don't do what you say, that, that gets around rapidly. People talk, uh, attorneys talk with each other. I've, I've noticed, I'm sure you've heard the same thing, where people are not willing to try cases or they're less willing to try cases. They, they get reputations and it, it spreads quickly. So it's important that when you say something that you do it. Yeah, and part of it too, I'm not saying that you ignore developments in any case. I mean, I've said before, trying a lawsuit is like crossing a lake standing up in a canoe. I mean, you need to adjust what's going on. When you see the jury that's seated, that may affect your evaluation of the case, how witnesses do at trial, how cross-examinations go, rulings from the court. All of those things may affect the, the value of the case, but I'm talking about a situation where the case, you got a policy limit of a million dollars and the case would be worth $3 million if there were $3 million in coverage. So I'm certainly not suggesting that you ignore developments and readjust your valuation based on those developments. You know, the other thing, Eric, I think is very important is the timing of settlement discussions. As I've said, I think in my experience, discussing settlement early on has just not been productive for, for me over the years. And I, you know, for whatever reason, I find that defendants are willing to pay a very small fraction very early on versus what they're willing to pay when the, the trial is starting. And because of that, I just really don't, I don't get involved in settlement discussions. I just avoid them. And I think the, the best way to settle your case for a fair amount is to completely ignore settlement and spend your energy and effort working your case up for trial. I don't know if you can offer me a number on this, but, or just a, just an, a, a guess, but what percentage of your cases that have settled over your decades of practice have settled within a month or two of filing the case? In other words, how often does it happen? Never. 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 Okay. Okay. Never. It just doesn't happen. And I will say part of it is we, we have cases that are a little bit involved and usually complex. The reason I think they don't settle very early on is they're very complex cases. They're involved with a lot of discovery. I think the reason that they don't settle early is at the very beginning, we really don't know what the case is about. We don't have all the information we need in order to value the case. For instance, if it's a product liability case, a lot of the cases, product liability, med mal, commercial case, a lot of the information, you know, we don't have yet. The other side, the defendant has it, and we need to develop that information during the course of discovery. So I think very early on, trying to get cases settled, that doesn't, that doesn't happen too often. I think that probably out of the cases that do settle, 90% of my cases settle either a couple days before trial or during, during trial when the evidence plays out and you have somebody who's a decision maker sitting in the courtroom actually watching the evidence develop and a light bulb goes on and all of a sudden they seem to get it and appear to be a little bit more reasonable about getting the thing resolved. What is a, uh, an indication to you that it's time to just stand up and leave at a mediation? What signal or what words? I assume that there's some things that you might hear from a defendant or maybe not here, that mean this is just going nowhere. Is there, is there something? Yeah, I try to 
completely ignore anything that's said. I don't care what they say to me. I mean, I know my case. I know what my case is worth. What I look at is is what they offer, the numbers. You know, as they say, actions speak louder than words. You know, I don't take cases and browse through them, not work them up, and then go to a mediation not knowing what they're about. When I walk into a room at a mediation, I've spent whatever time I need to spend. I've done whatever work I need to do. I know my case inside and out. I know the defense attorney. I know their track record. I know whether they try cases or not. I know about the defendant. So when I go in there, I have already made up my mind about what that case is worth and whether it gets paid or whether we try it. I won't waste a lot of time. I go into mediation sometimes and I'll make a response in 12 minutes, 10 minutes after talking to my client and then wait an hour and a half for another response. So what I look at is what's offered. And I would say many mediations, what will happen is we'll make a demand. And again, the demands that I make are, in my estimation, they're reasonable and fair. I mean, we've got a good track record of handling cases like this. We know what they've settled for. Our demands aren't uh, out of line. They're conservative, I think, most often than anything. They're very well thought out. We don't just pull a number out of the sky and come in. We've done focus groups on these cases. We know we've got a very good idea what these cases are worth. So when we go into a mediation with a number, it's a number that means something. And then we'll sit there for an hour and a half and somebody in response to a $20 million demand will offer $175,000. Almost every time that happens, I bolt, I'm gone. I'll get up and walk out. And most of the time the mediator will say, well, hold on a second. And then we'll give them a second opportunity to come up with a, a number of whatever, you know, a million dollars or something to show that we're not all wasting our time. And sometimes they do that and sometimes they don't, but I'd rather, I'd rather get to it early in the morning and just get out of there and go back and start working on the case and sit there all day wasting everybody's time. And again, this probably is not a seminar promoting media mediations, <laughs> you know, what we're doing now. And a lot of the good mediators I know, the very best, disagree with me on all of this. They always tell me, you know, John, be patient and hang around and let's just wait. And this is just a first offer, but that's just how I'm wired. That's my DNA. I like getting to the point. I know what it's going to take to settle my case. I would rather not waste time and just, and you know, and the other thing too, it's very, very rare that good lawyers give you an opportunity to try a good case. And let me just say that again, in my career, in my career, it is the exception that good, smart lawyers will offer me an opportunity to go to trial on a good case. And because when that happens, we get really good results. And lawyers on the other side who are smart and know what they're doing know that they don't want that to happen. To me, not settling that case, not settling a good case for me, Eric, is a gift. When I walk out of a mediation with a good case and it has not settled, I'm not at all disappointed. I'm excited about it. Because what the alternative is, wow, I get to try a very good case that otherwise I wouldn't be able to try. I will tell you, let me just throw this in too. As a young lawyer, I worked with a lawyer that you know, George Fitzsimmons. And George does mediations now. I worked with George for about 10 years at a different firm. And George drilled it into my head very early on what I said earlier. And that is the biggest mistake plaintiff's attorneys make is they settle their good cases and they try their bad ones or tough ones or whatever you want to call it. And we need to do the opposite. Pick out your good cases and work those cases up. You don't want to settle your good cases. You want to try your good cases. And that makes all the difference in a career. Try the good ones, resolve the difficult ones, not the other way around. Episode 112 of The Jury Is Out featured 
the Honorable Glenn Norton. He's another good mediator. And so if anyone wants to hear the other side of this, they're invited to listen in. It was a good session with. Yeah. And let me just say this about Judge Norton. I think he is. I don't know of a better mediator. Let me put it that way than, than Judge Norton. And my advice to you would be is use him if you can, if he can fit you into his schedule. There's a reason he's very busy. And the other piece of advice I'd give you is listen to everything he tells you. <laughs> I argue with him and fight with him. But at the end of the day, when he recommends something, I most often go along with it. You mentioned that there's some cases that you mark for trial right off the bat. Let's say you're working on one of those and the phone rings and it's a defense attorney saying, hey, can you give me a settlement demand? Can you just walk me through what your thought process might be at that point? If it's somebody I know, it's a little bit different than somebody that I don't know. And and let's say it's an attorney I've had other cases with and I've known for years. I'm candid with everybody. I tell them, look, we think this is a very good case. Maybe it's got an issue or problem in it. I'll recognize that. But my response will be, look, thank you for calling. We're always interested in trying to resolve the case. But here's what we think of the case. And I won't necessarily give a number, but I'll talk about some of the facts or issues in the case that make it very you know, explosive or dangerous. I'll talk about the upside of the case, where we could see a verdict coming in in the case, the venue. And for all of those reasons, we think this is a very significant case. If your client shares that view that this is a very significant case and they're interested in paying a very significant amount of money to settle it, then by all means, we're interested in talking to you. If that's not the case, my recommendation is that we don't discuss settlement and let's work the case up. And that's exactly what I'll say. Now, none of that works unless everything that you've said is true. You actually need to have a very good case with high upside and high risk for the defendant. And I think what this boils down to, Eric, is it's your track record and your reputation. I mean, it's it's not just the facts of the case. You can have a very good case And if you're not willing to go to trial with it and try it and get a verdict, that's really going to harm your ability to get full value for that case. No question. All right, John, as you know, we have a lot more to discuss on settlement negotiations, but we're going to take a pause here. We're going to be back with part two on settlement negotiations on our next episode. I'll add also that if any of the listeners want to talk to us, comment to us uh, questions or suggested topics, you can reach us at comments at the juryisout.law. We look forward to hearing from you. With that, this is the end of part one of Settlement Negotiations. See you next time. This is Eric Veith. This is John Simon. See you next time. John and Eric would like to hear from you. They invite you to email your comments and suggestions to comments at the juryisout.law. To learn more about the dedicated trial lawyers of the Simon Law Firm, visit simonlawpc.com.